I'll give just a quick recap to kind of hopefully tie all of the weeks together. Uh, I know that um, Robert did a fantastic job. I'm super grateful for him and I just honor him for stepping in when I wasn't able to be available and uh, him teaching what the Lord led him to teach. So this idea that uh, the Lord desires to know us, he desires to be in relationship with us and to, um, to love us and to reveal himself to us in every way, shape, and form, to be our source for all things, our source for life and, and love and sustenance in this earth. But uh, not only do we get to know him in such an amazing way, the creator of the universe, he invites us in uh, into mission with him. And so as he reveals himself to us, he shows us destiny. One, we're to be conformed into the image of the likeness of Christ. And then two, he, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, and he has good works for us which he prepared beforehand. And so we can exist in such a way that uh, we communicate with him and we receive those, those good works. And they come in the form of uh, blueprints and mandates all tied up in our destiny. And as uh, we saw, he gives very specific instructions to people, gave the blueprints for the ark to Noah. And he gave the, uh, the measurements of the temple to Ezekiel and, and he's done this throughout the scripture. And so then Jesus comes and he gives very specific instructions to his disciples about going and making disciples and reaching the earth. Um, and so when he gives us this mission, he doesn't think that we're going to do it on our own. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of us. And we have gifts and we have roles in the body. And then he also commands his angel armies to work on our behalf. And so the scripture that says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to those who are inheriting salvation. And so he literally has angels to minister to us in our time of need and to go about and do his will. They're, they're messengers, they're servants, um, they get things done, they bring understanding and revelation. And so um, I believe that angels are still functioning in the earth in the same way today. And so we've got the spirit in us, we've got all of heaven on our side to live out this mission. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to have adversity when we walk this out. And so you may have heard it called um, spiritual warfare, when we have to essentially take on powers and principalities. As we're going about doing the Lord's will, he has an enemy, and uh, that enemy is our enemy. But we see here in Ephesians 6.12, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So, a lot of times we want to make people our, our enemy. People will say mean things or do, do mean things or, I mean, even do evil towards us. And we get upset at the individuals against the people and, and we want to see justice served, right? We want justice for the wrongdoings. Um, but ultimately, what we understand is that God is the judge over all of creation. And um, in Romans 12, he tells us to not repay evil with evil, but to repay evil with good for it's mine to avenge. Um, and so I, I want to 
uh, read something real quick from this PDF. And if you can get that, that PDF open later, there's a link at the very top and it takes you to a, uh, another PDF that is a free book called Hebrew Streams Divine Counsel. And so it's essentially a thesis that was written in 1991, and there were some revisions made in 2013, that somebody wrote at Pepperdine, Uni or Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. So there's a guy who writes a thesis, and he's basically making a case for the presence of scripture that's talking about a divine council that exists in the heavenly realm. And so it's essentially a scriptural, systematic, theological study that walks through all of the scriptures that point to God as judge over all of creation and how he sits in his courts and he has a divine council and that divine council rules with him and makes judgments upon the earth upon rulers and principalities and upon the inhabitants of the earth, people as well. So where we may have enemies that come against us and ultimately those enemies are influenced by rulers and principalities, we have divine power to demolish those strongholds and that divine power comes from Yahweh who sits in a divine council. And so we literally have all of heaven, the spirit in us, angelic army and essentially Yahweh the ultimate judge making judgments on our behalf and bringing about justice and righteousness into the earth so when we think about the scripture that says no weapon formed against us will prosper it's because those weapons never stood a chance in the first place because the Lord is watching over and he's making judgments so let me let me just read something real quick from the first page of this PDF it's really, um, really amazing. It says, The divine council in the Hebrew Bible is a symbolic ruling body consisting of God as the supreme monarch, as king, and various supernatural attendants. In his position as head of the council, God holds three primary offices, king, judge, and warrior. He is absolute ruler over all. He makes judicial decisions, so there's that word, judicial, about the activities of its occupants. And he initiates punitive actions against those forces, divine or human, which cause chaos and disorder in order to restore righteousness and shalom, or wholeness and peace. So Yahweh is ruling over all of creation and when things get out of order, right, we've heard scriptures say our God's not a God of chaos, he's a God of order. So when things get out of order, when, they, when there is not righteousness and there is not shalom or wholeness, he, he initiates actions to bring back that order. So he makes judgments. It says his obedient angels serve him in each of his corresponding offices. In his royal throne room, they praise their king and act as his official counselors, courtiers, courtiers, and messengers. As members of the court, they act as witnesses, investigating detectives, bailiffs, and perhaps fellow judges. As members of the warrior's vast army, they wage war on evil beings, hence the angel armies. The existence of the divine council is witnessed by various literary genres of the Hebrew Bible. 
which means it's mentioned in historical, narrative, and poetic passages, prophetic visions, temple liturgy, and apocalyptic visions. It also transcends the historical timeline from the earliest primeval history to the final eschatological frontier. It's a big word. But the concept and imagery of the divine council is thus woven through the pages of the Hebrew Bible. So it's so amazing that we seem to have looked over in some way, shape, or form this entire idea. Many people will agree and say, Yahweh is our ultimate judge. We'll read Revelation. We'll say there's the great white throne with the many people standing to be judged with various books open. We'll see that in Revelation and say, God is judge. But then somehow we've looked over the proof of the divine counsel within the Old Testament through the prophets and through the historical scriptures and the poetry and so on and so forth. So today is really talking about this idea of the Lord making a judgment from his throne in his courts among his counsel with witnesses, advocates, and adversaries. And so this is where we get the courts of heaven idea. And so, um, struggles not against flesh and blood. Revelation 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So scripture tells us, and we have also called Satan the accuser of the brethren. Scripture tells us that he stands before the throne accusing brothers and sisters before God day and night. So Satan is our adversary. Let me give you this uh, uh, one more scripture and then I'll give you a definition. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So as we're going about the will of God, as we're existing in relationship with him, as we're empowered by the Spirit to do his will on earth as it is in heaven, as we are being warred against by powers and principalities and rulers of the dark realm, we also have an adversary who is accusing us day and night. So there is no doubt that as we're trying to bring God's kingdom to earth, that Satan is trying to set up his kingdom against Yahweh's kingdom. And so he is in the heavenlies accusing against us. Now, if you've ever, if you've ever found yourself in a situation to where you are essentially hearing negative thoughts about yourself, and you begin to listen to those, and then you actually kind of give them a little bit of a foothold, and you say, you know what? I, I am a, a filthy, wretched sinner. You know, I, I am pretty worthless. Man, I am. I, yeah, I'll probably always stay angry. I just don't see myself getting over that sin. I do feel like a piece of crap. That's accusation from the enemy coming against us, and we are tuned into that. And we begin to hear that as he's accusing us, we can actually hear those accusations. And a lot of the times we'll grab onto them and simply believe them and take them on as our identity. But those are adversarial accusations, which means they aren't truth. 
They're lies. Satan is the father of lies. He can only speak that which is not truth and is in opposition to truth. He's the accuser. So let's look at this word in the Strong's Concordance, because I always look up the Greek and the Hebrew. And so this word adversary, or the name Satan, is the Greek word anti-dikos. So it's A-N-T-I, which means anti is like against. So you're anti this, anti that. And then the last word is dikos, which means judicially approved or without guilt in proper standing. So we are in, pro and we, in Christ, we are in right standing with the Father. Our adversary seeks to speak against us to make us think we are not in right standing with the Father. So he is anti our right standing with the Father. It's as simple as I can put it. Put it. But it's technically a legal term. And so I'll just read the definition. Antidikos, or adversary, is a technical legal term used in antiquity, so it's an older word, of an adversary in a courtroom. For example, someone seeking official or formal binding damages. And so this adversary is looking to get God to make a judgment against our right standing. So he's trying to get us to be judged as sinners who deserve death, and right? So the wages of sin is death. He wants us to be found guilty of our sin so that we can be found worthy of death, right? And so this, there's this legal term. It's, it's like the, there's, it, we, we know modern court system use the word plaintiff and then the word defendant. So the plaintiff brings the charges. The person who's accused is the defendant. So they have to essentially defend their stance as to whether they're innocent or guilty. They will typically plead innocence and they have to present proof of their case that they're innocent. And so that plaintiff, the adversary, seeks to bring about damages to make you pay for the wrongdoing that has been done. So essentially Satan brings about these accusations to the father and then wants us to be found guilty so that we have to pay those damages and pay those charges. And so the good news is, and we'll get to this, but I think we know the end of the story is that we have an advocate who's Christ. So Christ is, is defending us against the accusations of the enemy. So it's really interesting. So Zechariah chapter 3, we actually get an image into, so the scripture will show us a moment in time where a servant of Yahweh is present in the spirit, in the heavenlies, this is happening. This isn't an earthly instance. It's Joshua and his spirit present in the courtroom of Yahweh, hearing accusations brought against him by Satan. And we actually see the Lord render a judgment on the, during that court case. So it says, Then he showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord. So this is a vision, right? We know that the Lord has, has opened people's eyes in certain times throughout Scripture to see beyond the veil, to see what was happening in the spiritual. The servant of Elisha, 
Elisha prayed that the servant would have eyes to see. So the Lord showed him and he saw that there were many, many um, angels in the army that was going to defeat their foes for them. And uh, it wasn't his physical eyes he opened, it was his spiritual eyes. And so we have another instance where we're getting insight into this spiritual thing that's taking place in the heavenly realms. So Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord with Satan or the adversary standing at his right side to accuse him. So here we go. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? So he's basically advocating against the accusation. And he's rebuking them for the accusation. And so it says Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. So he actually stood there guilty of sin. And the angel of the Lord spoke to those standing before him and said, Take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with festive robes. So the sin he was guilty of, the Lord removed and gave him new garments. One of my favorite scriptures uh, is in Isaiah where it says, Come now, let us settle the matter. Though you were as red as crimson, I will make you as white as snow. Right? There's one where he says, I'll take your filthy rags and I'll give you new robes. I'll give you white clothes. And so we see this actually happening in the spirit to Joshua, the high priest. His sin is forgiven. So the accusers rebuked. Joshua is defended by the Lord, the advocate. He is guilty of the sin, but the Lord removes the sin and makes him righteous based on the clothes that he gives him, not based on the works that Joshua did to achieve new white clothes. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. So the forgiveness of our sins comes from the work of Christ on the cross, not anything that we can do for ourselves. And he washes us as white as snow. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So a clean turban was placed on his head, and they clothed them in garments while the angel of the Lord was standing nearby. And so then the angel of the Lord charged Joshua, this is what the Lord of armies says, if you walk in my ways and keep my mandates, you will both rule my house and take care of my courts. I will also grant you access among these who are standing here. So let's ask the question, who were those standing there? He was not on earth. He was in the heavenly realm. He was not in the physical. He was in a spiritual manifested courtroom with Yahweh the judge, the Lord the advocate, Satan the adversary. And so then he speaks to him and says that you'll rule my house and take care of my courts. And I'll grant you access among those who are standing here. So he's basically saying he will have access to this divine counsel, to this heavenly existence where these beings sat with Yahweh. And so here he tells somebody in scripture, I'll give you access, right? So really interesting stuff going on here. So let me, um, let me kind of make the case. So we made the case for there's stuff coming against us. Our primary adversary is Satan, who stands accusing us day and night. We get an instance in scripture of this situation actually taking place. 
We see another one in Job where Satan comes to Yahweh and says, and begins to talk about Job. And so there's another moment where Satan comes and begins to have conversation about, a one, about one of God's servants. So that's just kind of a side note. Let's make the case for the advocate, because that's the good news. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, there's that word, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is our advocate with the Father. So if we do sin... And if we are guilty of accusation, Christ still sets us free because of who he is, because he is our advocate. So let's look at the, the term, the definition of the word advocate in scripture. So the Greek word, again, for, um, for adversary was antidikos, but now we have the opposite of adversary, which is advocate, and the the phrase there is parakletos. And so para here means from, close, beside. So it means he's close to us. And kaleo means to make a call or a judgment. So what this really means is that it, it's a legal advocate. This is the definition. A legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because they're close enough to the situation to make the right call. So basically, the Lord is so close to us, and he sees who we are, and he knows our identity in him, that he can actually advocate against the accusation for us, because he knows that we are not guilty based on his work on the cross. So he gets to say, I died on the cross for them, they're not guilty of the accusation that you bring against them. So... Um, parakletos also means advocate or advisor helper, and it's the New Testament term that essentially means lawyer or somebody who gives evidence that stands up in court. So literally, Jesus is advocating for us and bringing forth evidence of our righteousness because of who he is. So Colossians 2, 13 through 15 and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him, having forgive us, forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So no doubt we've been guilty of sin. In 1 John it says that if anybody says he's, he has no sin, he makes himself out to be a liar. So we know that we all have sin. And so because we have sin, we're guilty of sin. And so Satan comes and says, hey, they're guilty of sin. So the record of debt that stands for our sin is now pre present in the courtroom. And so without Christ, we're guilty. But with Christ, we're not guilty. Therefore, meaning that there are no damages that need to be paid because of the sin that we've committed. All of our debt has been paid on the cross. So our debt has been canceled. So there's no record in the courtroom of us being guilty of sin. It's not there. So you can go down to the courthouse right now in your city, wherever you're at, and you can ask for public records 
of cases that have been judged. And you can find names of people who've been found guilty of breaking the law, and you can see the damages that they've paid or the fines that they owe and still owe if they've not paid them. So there's still a record of the trespass and a record of the debt that exists in those courtrooms here physically on earth. But in the courtroom of heaven, there's no record of our debt. We are only not guilty. We are only righteous. There's no record. And so it doesn't exist. And so when Satan accuses, he has nothing to stand on because Christ has canceled that debt. And so Romans 8.34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who's who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So there's a scripture in Romans where it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means we are not condemned. It means the gavel judging us as guilty did not hit the bench. We are not condemned being in Christ. There's no condemnation. So there's no punitive justice to come toward us because of Jesus canceling that debt. Romans 3.24, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So this word justified is also a legal term that has implication based on what has happened in this courtroom um, when Yahweh has made his judgment because of what Christ has done for us. So the, the term justified, or it, this one's hard to say, but it's D-I-K-A-I-O-O, which is kind of the same word as, as Deco that we saw um, in uh, the adversary definition. So it means, Deco means judicially approved. So when we're justified, we're made righteous. And it says to justify is to plead for the righteousness or the innocence of somebody or to be acquitted. Hence, to be regarded as righteous. So to be acquitted. So they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. If we put that another way, we can say they are found righteous or in right standing. They are found not guilty freely by his grace. Or they are found acquitted of the charges freely by his grace. So literally, charges are being brought against us by Satan. We're being accused and Christ, as our advocate, is bringing forth evidence of our righteousness, and we are literally being acquitted of the accusations. So there's this process happening in heaven. So if we want to talk about, well, if you look at the scripture, and there was just one time that we saw um, Joshua in the courts, and so maybe that happened one time. Well, again, Revelation says that the accuser is there day and night. And it says that Jesus stands at the right hand of God interceding on our behalf. Interceding is present tense. It's present continual. So Jesus is right now interceding on our behalf, being an advocate against the continual accusations that Satan is bringing against us. So where we have an enemy, powers, principalities, darkness, struggles not against flesh and blood, we also have divine power to demolish strongholds, weapons that aren't of this world. So we don't 
struggle with flesh, people of this world, and we don't fight with weapons or things of this world. Our adversary is spiritual and our weapons are spiritual. And so if we ever wonder why we don't see victory in different places in our lives, it may just be because we've not wielded divine power to demolish that stronghold. We may have thought that we could work our way out of, out of sin or work our way out of strongholds. Have you ever seen, uh, you know, somebody with a ball and chain on their leg and they just, you know, they're trying to get out or somebody in handcuffs and they're just working and working and trying to slip their hands out and they just can't get out, right? They're, they're bound. There's a stronghold binding them. And, and so spiritually, we've, some people have got these strongholds that are these spiritual handcuffs and the Lord has to come. And this is what Jesus's mission was. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to set the captives free. So the strongholds are where the captives are held or a stronghold is something that holds the captive. But then Jesus comes to set the captive free to make us righteous, and to, to bring relief to the oppressed. And so again, spiritual battle, spiritual weapons, adversary, advocate. And it's such a beautiful thing. It's all in here in scripture. We just kind of, it just blows my mind a little bit to think about that maybe we've brushed over this stuff in the past, um, but are we truly engaging the supernatural in order to find, I mean, we'll, so when we receive the gospel, we'll say yes to Jesus. You know, I, I believe in Jesus. He's my Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for my sins. He was raised on the third day and he ascended into heaven and he loves me and he forgave all of my sins. So we'll confess that. But somehow we, we, we don't go deeper to understand the legality behind him canceling the record of debt, him defeating death and sin, him defeating the enemy, right? So he defeated death. The wages of sin is death. So if we're found guilty of sin, we die. But even though we've been found guilty, we don't die because Jesus has paid the debt that stood for sin. And it was Yahweh who now looks at us and sees us in Christ and says we're righteous. So this, just the last couple of minutes of, of the class, um, I want to talk about engaging that divine power. So 2 Corinthians 10, 3-4, again, I'll read the scripture. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. So... If we think back on the paragraph that we read at the very beginning of this week, and it talks about Yahweh sitting in his divine council on his throne, making judgments, bringing order where there's disorder. He has a will. He's partnering with man to bring that will from heaven to earth. And when he sees unrighteousness and when he sees brokenness, he institutes judgments to bring about shalom or peace, and to bring about righteousness. So he creates, corrects the wrong in the world, and he takes the things that are fragmented and broken, and he brings wholeness to them. And when he does that, he brings purpose. And so we can look at 
our life and we can look at our world and we can present a request to the Lord through prayer and petition. So there's that, that scripture in Philippians. Do not be anxious in anything. To be anxious means to be pulled in different directions or to be fragmented, which is actually the direct opposite of shalom or wholeness. So when we're anxious, we then come to the Lord with thanksgiving, enter his courts with thanksgiving, right? Enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Jesus did this. Jesus said, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Reverence and praise entering into that place of intimacy and communication with the father. He modeled it for us. It's so beautiful. So we go to the Lord with our anxieties because what happens is the anxieties for us is it's caused by us seeing a disruption in our world. I don't have peace. I don't have understanding. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how the bill is going to get paid. I don't know how my son's going to get healed. I don't know how my house's roof is going to get fixed. It's just this disorder in our minds. And so we can literally go to the Lord with that anxiety through prayer, speaking to him, but not only speaking to him and telling him, right? It says, present your request to God. So we begin to present those things to him. But it says through petition, that word petition or supplication means that I see something that I'm not okay with. And essentially how you would deliver emotion if you were in a business meeting, according to the rules of, of the meeting, you would say, I move to, you know, here's my, my motion. I'm making a motion. I move to institute this thing. Or if you sign a petition, don't tear down the park for a parking lot. I petition against the parking lot. I petition for the keeping of the park. We're submitting a legal request to a governing body to either keep a situation the way it is or to change the outcome of a situation. And so we can look at our life and we can present those things to the Lord and say, I desire to see a judgment to be made to bring about a new order and to bring about your will. And so in this moment where we're presenting our request to God and we're praying, I think if we understand prayer as a two-way communication and Jesus said, this is how you ought to pray. And then he says, your will on earth as it is in heaven. That part of our prayer should always be seeking the heart and the mind of God, what he desires. And so if our prayer is actively existing as a two-way communication, we're going to give something to the Lord and then he's going to communicate his heart and his mind for that situation. If that makes sense. So the other day I was on a run and I was presenting to the Lord some grievances that were going on within my heart, um, specifically in the realm of impurity, lustful thoughts. And so I was really fed up with my flesh and I presented this to the Lord and I said, Lord, here it is again. I've given this to you a million times. And I just said, what I said, you know, <laughs> most of the time we ask God, like, what do I do? Just tell me what to do, you know? And, and, um, 
we want to get that thing that we can do to like fix the situation. And I think he speaks that to us. But in this moment, instead of me asking him what to do right away, I asked him what he wanted for me. Lord, what do you want for me? Like, what is your heart for me? What is my destiny? Who do you want me to become? Because I know I'm supposed to be conformed into the image of likeness of Christ, but I'm really struggling because I don't think I look so much like Christ right now in this space in my life. And I was like, what do you want for me? And he said very clearly to me, he said, I want purity for you. So in that moment, the Lord communicated to me his heart and his will for my purity. Now I can tell you one thing about the will of the Lord, it will come to pass because he is Yahweh and his will will come forth. And so all he did not in a judgmental or condemning kind of way. He basically acknowledged that I have impurity in my life, but he communicated to me that he is for my purity. And so in my moment of anxiety and distress, I essentially did what I call filing a grievance. I'm not okay with the current state of affairs in my heart. I'm going to file this grievance into the court of heaven to the judge Hey, this is what's happening on earth in my heart. I don't like it. I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. But here's the issue is I have to not be okay with the current state of affairs in order to file a grievance. Some people don't grieve over certain things. Some people are okay with the current state of affairs. But when we get to that point and then we give that to him, we submit that to his court system and we say, Lord, I'm not okay with this. What is your will? What is your judgment? And he'll rule and he'll decree will, right? His kingdom, he gives, he, he decrees a judgment. He issues an order and then that order is then worked out into earth from heaven. From it by, so he has heralds, people who go and, and declare the orders of the Lord. I mean, how powerful is that? So a lot of people want to come against the name it and claim it thing. But if the Lord has issued a decree, this is what Jesus said, go and preach the gospel. That means go and proclaim the kingdom. All the things that I have spoken have been declarations from the Father. And so now you go and declare the same thing. And guess what? You have the authority to do it because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So he has passed that authority onto us to go and bring the kingdom to earth. And so there's this idea, again, of the Lord making judgments. He's bringing about peace and he's bringing about righteousness. We can seek his heart and seek his face. What are those wills? What is that will? What are those decrees? What are those kingdom orders? What are those judgments? He will communicate those to us and then we have the authority to come and to declare those into the earth. And so... So amazing to think then that if the Lord issues a decree, a copy of that decree will be written out and then filed into the court system. So anytime there's a new law or a new judgment or a new ordinance that the city or the state or the United States passes that is written out, it's signed by all the people in the authority, and then it's filed away and then it's implemented by officers and rulers and judges into the earth. And so the same thing we see happening with the court systems on earth are the same things that are happening in the court systems 
in the kingdom of heaven. He is the ultimate king and the ultimate judge. What we see on earth is simply a shadow. And it's an earthly system when it's an earthly government. But we can function within the government of Yahweh. Jesus said, I will build my church. That word ecclesia means a ruling, governing body. He said, I'll build my ruling, governing body. And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Struggle is not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. The gates of hell will not prevail. No weapon formed against us will prosper. We have adversaries, but we have an advocate. We have divine power. We have the will of God. We have authority. We have decrees and mandates and issues of kingdom order. And literally all of heaven is on our side. And Yahweh is on our side. The divine council is on our side. The angels are on our side. Christ is on our side. The cloud of witnesses is on our side. How can we fail in this earth living out and partnering with the will that God has for us. It's so, I mean, is this not good news? I mean, I'm just so filled with joy again to know that, I mean, man, that's, it, it's, it's a different world. It really is. And that's what this class is all about. This class is all about using scripture, number one, to paint a picture of the supernatural functioning kingdom of the heavens. The kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God is inside of us. And we can function in that kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. It's a kingdom of the spirit. And so scriptural journey into supernatural possibility we use the scriptures as a springboard to catapult us into supernatural living and, and living by the Spirit, listening by the Spirit, communicating with the Lord by the Spirit, engaging divine weaponry, <laughs> divine weapons to demolish strongholds, not fighting an earthly battle of flesh and blood with fists, but fighting a spiritual battle with divine power. I mean... There's no other way to paint the picture. Scripture is very clear all throughout Scripture, but it's a beautiful narrative from the beginning all the way to the end, and he invites us into it. And not only does he invite us into it, but he's with us every single step of the way for us, for us, for us, always, always for us, advocating on our behalf with the cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we run the race. And it's just, man, I... Yes. Yes and amen. Praise him. He's so, so wonderful.